Hello and welcome to the stories that brought you here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people living in and around the Salish Sea. I'm your host, Chris Wakaluk, and it is my pleasure to get to sit down in conversation with people who live in this beautiful part of the world, to hear the stories that brought them to this magical little place we exist in, and to also find out what brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. This particular episode you're going to be listening to is part of a special series I'm doing called Welcome Home. As you know, the world has changed quite a lot in the last few years, and so has the little island that I live on that goes by the name of Pender Island. Many people have decided to make a big move in their lives and come to live in this place, and I thought that it would be pretty great to get to meet some of them. So these interviews are a bit shorter, and we get to hear the stories about why people chose this island, where they moved from, what their experience has been like for the first bit of time that they've lived here, and also hear a little bit of a background as to their lives as well, too. And in this one, I'm going to be speaking to a gentleman by the name of Jorgen Jesperson. Now, Jorgen moved here in the early spring of 2021 with his wife and two daughters. They had been living in Edmonton prior to that, and they decided to make the move here, partly because of some friends that they had on the island that had moved here a little bit before they did. So Jorgen's going to get to explain a bit about his life living in Edmonton, which for him included 16 years as a youth worker. He's going to describe what it was like growing up in Barhead, Alberta, which is a rural community not too far away from Edmonton. He'll talk about how he and his wife got involved when they first moved here with the Pender Pacers. That's a running club that exists on the island. As well, too, he'll talk about his experience working for the ambulance service since being here. All that and more in a great little interview that I totally enjoyed doing because... I really like Jurgen. I got to meet him about uh, a year ago, and I think he's a pretty fantastic guy. And it was really fun to sit down in my backyard and have a conversation with him way back in May. And a little side note to that as part of the interview, we talk about Jurgen and his involvement with the training for the volunteer fire department, which at the time he was involved with. And we have a bit of a lengthy conversation in the interview about that because years ago I took the training for the volunteer fire department. But only after a couple months of taking the training, I decided that it was something that I did not want to do, and I let go of that opportunity. And since that time when we spoke in May, Jorgen as well is no longer involved with the fire department because things change. So Jorgen just wanted me to make sure that I let people know about that, and I want to let you know that thanks for coming to listen to this podcast. It's going to be a good one. So first we're going to hear a little bit of music, and then you're going to get to meet a new member of the community, Jorgen Jesperson. What was your introduction to the Gulf Islands? Seven or almost eight years ago now, and I have to double check with Craig and Ruthie, but our friends Craig and Ruthie, who we knew we were originally from Edmonton, I think I met them 14 years ago, and uh, they had been in Rwanda, of all places, uh, doing like humanitarian work, and they were looking for, they'd sold their house in Edmonton, and they had family like scattered all over Alberta, but they were looking for a place to kind of have a break. I think some people might call it a furlough, I think, and um, they knew Bobby and Lynn Cooper, and they said, hey, we've got, they were managing the uh, Hope Bay Bible Camp at the time. And they said, if you want to come here, uh, we got like extra space. And I don't remember the exact timeline, but they like 
rented a place eventually for a year and we visited I actually didn't, didn't visit them at that original place. I think we visited them shortly after they bought their place just over here on Folksole. But then we ended up visiting them like, I think it was five times in four years. And um, I think most Albertans have some attraction to the coast, but it's also helpful if you have a person associated or people with the coast. And our kids are similarly aged to them. And I think it's not always the case that both members of a couple are like close with the other members of another couple. Like, you know, sometimes you might be friends or close with a guy, but you know, your, your spouses aren't necessarily close with each other or vice versa. And it was unique, unique that we had that. And then I think especially my wife really enjoyed the coast and the idea came up if we ever could make a go of it, why not? And in June of 2020, a position, my wife's a nurse practitioner. I wish she became a nurse practitioner just over three years ago or four years ago now. A position on Galliano came up. Actually, no, wait. In 2018, she had just became a nurse practitioner and a position on Galliano came up. Okay. And she applied for it but didn't hear back. And then two years later, the exact same position came up. And I think even when in 2018 she applied, she kind of thought, there's no way. I have no experience. They're not going to They're not gonna entertain me. Uh, and they didn't call her back so that she was probably right in her assumptions. But then in 2020... Uh, we were actually here visiting and I actually said, why don't you ride your bike or borrow Ruthie's bike and just like ride your bike and take the ferry to Galliano for the morning and like go see the clinic and, uh, see if it, because the idea was like, well, if we lived on Pender, Leanne could ride her bike and maybe take the ferry because we didn't, we weren't really interested in living on Galliano. We didn't know anyone in Galliano and we're so people oriented that, not that you can't meet new people on Galliano and not that it wouldn't necessarily be a great community, but like what's attractive is the people you already know. Sure. Um, and so I think she did, like she rode her bike. I think it was an hour to the ferry from here or something like that. It was like 45 minutes to an hour. But the, the bike ride from the ferry to Galliano was really short and she applied and got offered the position. But the way Leanne operates is uh, she waited till she was offered the position that then to start negotiating. And uh, she wanted to be able to work four days a week on Galliano rather than five because the kids have a four-day school week here. Uh, she wanted to be able to live on Pender, not Galliano, and they didn't like both of those. So she ended up turning them down. Not just for that, though. At the time, I still was uh, heavily entrenched in my career. And it would have been, at that time, a 15, no, no almost 16-year uh, as a Christian youth worker with an organization called Young Life. And we weren't sure how we would properly or, like, seamlessly exit young life and that was like july of 2020 and then in november 2020 i got let go from young life and uh leanne was like hey that position on galliano is still available and now the young life barrier or obstacle had been freed up and so we were like yeah why not and i i was very intentional to be like please don't do this for me like don't feel like you have to take this position she really liked her job in edmonton she was working at an inner city clinic it was high intensity of complicated health conditions for people like complex uh health conditions uh but uh she really liked her coworkers. but we just said why not go on an adventure and that was kind of our rationale back in june of 2020 and we're like our kids are at the time nine and seven and as a 16 year youth worker i know very well that if you wait too late to move like once your kids are 13 
you basically have to wait until they're empty. Empty nesters if you don't want to experience civil war <laughs> in your household. Oh, I think. Yeah, we had um, some renters in Edmonton that were from New Brunswick, and they had a 13-year-old daughter, and they negotiated with her that, like, hey, he was a pipe fitter, and he couldn't find work in New Brunswick. He's like, we'll go for one year to Edmonton. If you hate it, we'll move back. And they moved to a French community, and it was perfect for them in terms of the circumstances. But a year later, she's like, nope, and they moved back. And that's the way it goes sometimes. But Okay, so it seems like a whole bunch of things wound up coming together at the perfect time. I mean, perfect is one way of thinking of it, sure. Well, uh, or maybe imperfect, because when we were talking on the phone a few weeks ago, you mentioned about this career of 16 years that uh, you got dismissed from. Yeah. It sounded like it was a pretty um, dramatic. Yeah, I mean, that's really hard. Uh, I'd, I'd only ever been, like, laid off or let go of jobs that I kind of I knew was seasonal or things like that. And... It was a shock to the system, and Young Life's a very relational organization, and I understand how the decision was made to let me go. I, w- I would have hoped it would have never been made, but like, uh, and I obviously wouldn't want it to have been made, but uh, I wasn't expecting it, and uh, yeah, like there was a lot of grieving for sure with that, and I think long term the move was healthy for me. I think I was naive about how losing all my supports from Edmonton wasn't going to be easy for me here. Like, I think, for example, I got let go in November 2020. From November 2020 to December 2021, or like the year, I probably would have, my mental health might have been better if we'd stayed in Edmonton longer. The hope is long-term, it will be better. (laughs) If it isn't, that's too bad. But, uh, I mean, it's still a nice place to live. Uh, (laughs) But, like, Maybe it was a little bit rash decision to move, like four months after, because we moved March 2021 to Pender. We came here on March 16th, or March 15th we got here, I think, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I'd only gotten let go uh, three and a bit months earlier. And uh, if we hadn't done the pros and cons back in like June and July of 2020, where I still had my job, I would have very much felt like, oh, we're making a knee-jerk reaction and this may not be the wisest thing. We may not be thinking soberly about this. And and there was some hard parts about it because like Young Life is very much a grassroots, holistic and all encompassing career where like you're in the community that you're living in. And like most of the, like my school that I was working out of and uh, my office in that school was less than three blocks from my house. And like I would regularly walk there and driving past, it wasn't easy uh, afterwards. And um, feeling like I couldn't necessarily communicate with people and it, like my psychologist has descri- described it as like a divorce so I'm like I guess that's sort of true um, I've come to realize though thankfully over time that like the the relationships that matter still exist and like one of the first people who visited us when we moved here was a girl named Jayla who's like a single young attractive 26 year old female and her dog and her and I went swimming in Row Lake and I'm like Jayla, I love that if any any other circumstance, this would be highly inappropriate, but like you're like a little sister to me. And I'm grateful that because of Young Life, even though I'm sad to have been like go from Young Life, uh, like the relationships that matter will still continue to exist. And it's because of Young Life that I get to be, we get to be each other's friends. And I don't think there's a lot of circumstances where that would be normal. And it, it has been generally true. Anyone that I care about I still am very much closely in contact with. Actually, the things that make me the saddest is there was one coworker that didn't get along with me and I really wanted to. And I would ask my supervisor to 
give us opportunities to work together because she would generally avoid working with me. And uh, I'm sad that I won't get that chance anymore. Because like now, outside of Young Life, uh, if I were to initiate, she would probably not reciprocate. Like she didn't like working with me and was kind of, we would do these like team building exercises and she, I don't know if you know what the Enneagram is. It's all, do, yeah, it's yeah. all the rage or it was all the rage. It's probably not the rage anymore. Yeah. It's probably so 2020. Um, she was an eight and, uh, they have like kind of a fierceness to them and a stubbornness to them. And she would be like, the thing about me is you're either in or you're out. And like, if I really like you, I really like you. If I really don't like you, I really don't like you. And then I had to take her and my supervisor aside and be like, I think it'd be really healthy for everyone else, especially the newer people to hear you say, and I'm trying to change that because that's more of a statement of, if I don't like you, I just don't like you. It's definitive. It's right? definitive. And I'm like, the door is closed. and then she came back and said, well, not in a professional sense. Like that's more of my personal life. I'm like, that's sort of like saying you're a vegan when you're working and not when you're not working. I'm like, you don't get to make that distinction. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like if you're treating everybody in your personal life that way, how do you change that in your professional life? But anyway, uh, I'm sad that like there were relationships I would have liked to have worked on. And I wonder how much of that is my insecurities of needing people to like me. I don't know, but, um, yeah, those are the things I kind of, well, I miss the teenagers a ton, but thankfully I still connect with a lot of them, but yeah. So, okay. What I'm hearing is that when you first moved here, things were not hunky dory, like necessarily, right? Like oh, mostly just my emotional state. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and you and your wife purchased a house. Yeah. Uh, we were very fortunate that, uh, our plan, like we kind of, we made the decision basically like January 10th ish. Um, and Craig and Ruthie Fair have a, I think it's a legal suite. <laughs> So I'll find say, out, and you can edit out who had the suite. Say with confidence. No, it's a cottage behind their house. Yeah. And uh, we could have stayed there indefinitely, and our plan was to, like, get a lay of the land. Maybe Leanne's job situation would have been terrible for some reason, and we were like, okay, let's pull the ejection seat. But uh, in February, early February, a house came up, and our three criteria were we needed to be within walking distance of the fairs just because they were going to be such an anchor for us moving here and our kids get along which this house was. We wanted a wood-burning uh, fireplace, which is thankfully very easy to find on Pender. Yeah. Like in Edmonton, it's probably one in a hundred houses. Here, it's probably one in three. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, and we needed the ability to host people well. We didn't have a minimum number of like bedrooms or bathrooms, but this place has three bedrooms, two and a half baths. So that that checked off checked off all those boxes. So, um, But we didn't step foot in it till after we bought it. So, Whoa, really? Yeah. Like Craig and Ruthie went and checked it out. And we did a Zoom call. Okay. Uh, and uh, our friend Tavis, who's a contractor, came and looked at it too and um, kind of gave us his opinion. But, yeah. So, since you moved to the island and uh, you've been here for this duration of time, which I guess is approaching like a little bit over a year and a half now. Yeah, like a year and three months. Or, yeah. Okay, about it. You're in two months, sure. I don't know, whatever. Okay. 14 months. So what have you been doing in terms of uh, integrating into the community and um, finding your place? Yeah, um, right away we found the Pender Pacers, which is a running group that uh, uh, meets on Sunday mornings. And we had a mirror image running group in Edmonton called the Croissant Club um, that would run and then go find a place to have croissants and coffee. And so that was neat to be able to kind of I think it was the following Sunday. If it wasn't the following Sunday, it was very soon after. Because we had seen advertisements for the Pender Pacers when we had been visiting Pender. 
So we kind of were aware there was a running group, um, which, by the way, if you're even remotely into running, we're a fairly inclusive running group Sunday mornings, 8.30 at the Medicine Beach Slow Coast Coffees where we meet, and then we run out to South Pender, and we do an out and back. So if you're 10K is our average, but if you're more of a 6K person, you just kind of run 3K out and 3K back, and there's different paces. I'm one of the slower 10Kers. Okay. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, I think meeting, I mean, if you have kids, that's a, that's an unfair advantage because unless your kids are really terrible, but, uh, if your kids are social, no, because I mean, you could be that parent and it, it pains me to think about the truth of that, but I was a youth worker for 16 years, so I know it's true. But like, if your kids are sociable at all and our kids are social magnets, um, inevitably your kids are going to make friends and then. Hopefully you make friends or you like the parents of those kids' friends. Louis C.K., which I don't know if is appropriate to quote yet, he always jokes about how he's like, I've gotten to the age where I have to be in contact with other adults, but I don't want to be. They're just I'm like, listen, buddy, we're not going to be besties. My daughter just happens to be in class with your daughter, and I got invited to this birthday. And that's the extent of our relationship. But uh, no, we thankfully, we like all the parents of all our kids' friends, which is nice. I remember when our kids were younger in Edmonton, lamenting the idea that maybe someday because we would just choreograph who our kids friends were because they're the children of our friends right? sure, yeah, yeah. and um i'm grateful that we like all the parents of all the kids on on pender that's great so yeah. so meeting people through being a parent and yeah, uh, yeah. having those yeah. connections and then the running and yeah and then uh, the disc golf group would be the other predominant group so um craig and his his uh craig fair and his uh sphere of disc golf influence in the Tuesday night people. And I'd say that's an equally big group of people that I've managed to connect with. Okay. And it's funny because I would have never thought that would be one of my social networks. Yeah. Like outside playing a sport together, like actually yeah. in the dark is the Tuesday night group. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's generally dark out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll show up with a mustache weeks later and they're like, Jorgen, you shaved. I'm like a month ago, but now we're playing in the daytime. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for those people who don't know, uh, disc golf is a really popular sport on Pender Island that involves throwing a uh, plastic disc through the air into baskets. And uh, we have a beautiful course here, and uh, it is attended by a great many people who, mm -hmm. who love the game. Uh, actually, and another thing I wanted to touch on as well, too, is that you talk about working for the ambulance service. Right. Uh, when did that start, and how did that start? Yeah, like... Uh... In the summer of 2021, so like last summer, I'm trying to remember how I initially met Krista. I think she's just was one of the massage therapists on the island, mentioned that her partner was in fire, and then she sent me a Facebook message saying, hey, I think you should consider applying for fire. They're going to start their recruitment process in January. And um, a couple other people had approached me, and uh, I think when I was really young, I thought about fire, but like in Edmonton, it's a career service, but my hometown of Barhead, Alberta had a volunteer department and I'm like, oh, that would be cool. So I started training in uh, January and uh, one of the paramedics on the island who at the time was the only paramedic on island and uh, like in a position named Daisy, I'm going to butcher her last name, I think it's Tanapi. Tanapi, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, she was like, hey, you should maybe consider becoming a driver only because there's like the special exception that when they were, they, she was like the only medic so that if ever there was a call, the fire had to drive for her. Okay. And all you needed was a class four, which I had previously had from Alberta and your first aid, which I used to teach first aid and, uh, and lifeguarding in Alberta. And I was out of date, but I just, 
I spent an hour online, which is scary to think. Oh, it's CPR. It's not just first aid that I was able to recertify my CPR in less than an hour. But I guess maybe the average person couldn't do that. I I just knew all the answers to the questions. So good work. Yeah. So uh, in March, I started driving ambulance here on Pender about once a week, and they're willing to accommodate my schedule that I'm only willing to do it while my kids are in school because my wife's off island a lot of the time and. I can't afford, well, now we've negotiated that I could do like on call at night from like 8 p.m. till 3 a.m. Because on average, a 3 a.m. call wouldn't go beyond 7 a.m. And so I could still be home to get the kids to school. So, but uh, I actually just took the EMR course in Alberta or in Victoria. Uh, So now I could be more than just a driver once I'm licensed. So that was just last week. And what is EMR? Emergency medical responder, which. I think both in Alberta and BC is the entry level position for being a paramedic. I mean, paramedic's a very general thrown around term. Within the world, I would never call myself a paramedic because a paramedic has a a specific set of skills and scope. But most people, and even our jackets, say paramedic. So it's confusing to the general public. Okay. Uh, But yeah, like it's entry level paramedics. Okay, so, and the other thing you mentioned, too, is that uh, you were talking about the volunteer fire department that's on the island, and currently you are in training right now to be a volunteer firefighter since January. How's that going? Pretty good. I really like the group of guys that I'm with. Um, They're all very down to earth, and everyone's in it for the right reasons. It's not about ego or, uh, I don't know, sometimes people have sort of a demigod persona about certain things, but it's just about they want to be helpful and it's a way to give back and contribute, and I think that's a, a neat way if you're so inclined to to be able to give back in that kind of way, whether it's the physical ability or just the aptitude for doing fire. It's, it's one of those skills you hope you don't have to use. I think some of them might be excited to do it, but uh, I'd rather not. <laughs> well, I guess the expectation is once you complete the training that you have a pager and uh, yeah, there's and- calls that happen and, and you got to run out and... And uh, do what it is. That yeah, you... exactly. Uh, I mean, I've just got given my first pager and uh, I could respond, but I couldn't fight a fire. So I could help with other things as a first responder. And a lot of the things we do are medical too. Right. So actually we got a page this morning. So, but yeah. That's actually yeah. a really interesting component about it because being a volunteer firefighter on the island, which I took the training for two months and I eventually quit because mm-hmm. I realized it was definitely not for me. I looked down the road and I thought I'm not the person that wants to get up in the middle of the night and respond to uh, high pressure situations. So I, gotcha. I backed out of that, but I do have an understanding about uh, what is expected. And it seems as if it's far more about medical issues than it is about uh, disasters revolving around fire. Yeah, especially on uh, a smaller community and like it's not integrated services which is a term they use in a lot of other alberta communities where you are a paramedic and a firefighter but the the firefighting the fire department and the the ambulance on pender are so intertwined that it may as well be and they do work really really well together again i think in the past in different communities ego has been a a thing that actually is a it's a hindrance to getting people the, the care and the help they need because they 
either draw battle lines or whatever it is. It's dumb and it's political sometimes. But yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. I didn't uh, mention this before we did the interview, but it, it occurred to me in the series that I'm doing of 10 people that I wanted to ask about how people see themselves being a part of the community and contributing to the community. Mm-hmm. But I knew from a previous conversation with working with the ambulance and then doing the volunteer firefighting training that you're already doing that right now. Because mm-hmm. to me, I think it's a really um, great message to sort of put out to longtime residents and people who are new here as well too that this is how this island has worked in the past and this is how we're going to move forward in such a great way together is what we're doing with our own special skills and our energy to contribute to the island and uh yeah you you talk about being involved with a great group of guys with the firefighting and then uh, making connections with uh, people through the ambulance service um i guess you found a lot of a lot of joy with that so far, right? Yeah, I wasn't sure. It was, it's funny. I became an EMR in Alberta, but I never worked as one. I got my position and opportunity to work for Young Life. So I'd done some volunteering with the ambulance just to keep my status current from like 2003 to 2006. But then I let it lapse because I said, if I actually took a job, I wouldn't feel competent in my skills to be like actively doing it. But uh, partly because Daisy and Anna, the other uh, EMR that I've been working with are so so good at making you feel comfortable and helping you feel uh competent and never making you feel dumb asking questions but also like pushing you to do stuff i i have been enjoying it and uh, my wife would love to get a position as a nurse practitioner on pender and there's always been this like well is there some benefit to actually working on on another island because you don't have to necessarily know um all the details about all your neighbors. Uh, but I think for peace of mind reasons, we need eventually for her to be on Pender for the, to make this last, to make it sustainable. I don't think her commute is that long, long-term sustainable, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a little bit of a tangent, but there was this logic of like, well, someone has to be the healthcare provider on Pender and why not her, or someone has to drive ambulance and, you know, take calls where you might know the address and you might have to see a neighbor or friend in uh, some of the uh, worst moments, but why not us? Because it's not like there's a special type of person out there that is immune to feelings. I hope not. Uh, and I don't know I that think, you want think, that person. Are they sociopaths or psychopaths or both? <laughs> yeah, I think it is both actually, but uh, I, it's, seen, it's a pretty selfish thought to be like, well, I don't want to have to be that. I'm like, well, someone has to, and maybe we are the right persons, so are people. And um, yeah, so so far, so good with the ambulance. And yeah, maybe long term, maybe my wife on in the clinic and me in the ambulance, we'll see. Well, okay, so what are some of the challenges that uh, you face as a family with your wife having to commute? Is So it is four days a week. That four she's days a week. Galliano, and uh, she's, she's catching the morning ferry that leaves around seven. Yeah, which actually works relatively well. Like, uh, I come back, um, get the kids ready for school. Like, the timing works almost too well in that um, that ferry is almost always on time. Uh, and then occasionally her ferry home is delayed. But it just it just means that – and she could drive herself. And my brother makes fun of us because he thinks we're just dumb Albertans that like to waste fuel. But we actually kind of like the 15 minutes alone twice a day. Uh, and sometimes the girls join me to pick her up from work. But um, – it's long days for her, for sure. And uh, before we moved from Edmonton, I was I was not the primary parent. Um, she was like she worked part time, and I worked full time. And now 
I, I haven't mentioned this, but I just recently became a mortgage broker because that was kind of my plan once we moved here. It was like, okay, I'll go take the mortgage broking program from UBC and I'll have a job now that will allow me to work mostly while my kids are in school and remotely. And I like helping people. And I've been counseling former Young Life leaders and volunteers um, with finance and home purchasing. But uh, yeah, going back to her whole system thing is like, Four days long, and she really likes working in a collaborative medical environment. And there's only been one other physician on Galliano since she got there, and that person's only part-time, and that person's also leaving. So I don't mean to turn this into a podcast about Galliano's uh, medical provider situation, but like it could happen that the new person who comes in is also amazing and also collaborative. But most physicians sometimes are territorial, or some, I should say some physicians are sometimes territorial, and they're like, yeah, don't bother me. We just happen to share a space. We don't, like, work together. So I think she would prefer something where her days are a little less long, and maybe there's more people in the in the clinic, and it's a little bit busier. But yeah. yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> thank you for sharing all this, because I, I think that uh, I'm a little delusional uh, about what happens in people's lives when they move here because what I'm hoping to accomplish with this podcast is to sort of show a bit of the struggles but mm. more just like oh isn't this great people move to the island and like let's uh let's embrace them and everything's all great here but um everybody has challenges in their lives right yeah, and the, the yeah. challenges with the the commuting and the work and um it, it seemed like it was a a challenge name time when you first arrived here for situations that happened in your life uh, that came up with the dismissal from the job and and uh, all that. But um, I, I'm so thankful for you sharing all that information because it's it's not all roses. Yeah, and um, like I, I would like to think it is, but of course it's not in our lives. And it's funny because I think if you didn't know me before I moved here, you'd think I'm relatively social, but I'm actually much more. Uh, I don't know if shy is the right word, but like I would be usually more of an outgoing, like when I'm picking up my kids from the school, talkative kind of like, but I think I've, at least for a little while, it might've gotten better in recent months, but I think in the fall and the last spring, I, w I wasn't really putting myself out there. And I, I think it was because I was uh, still experiencing some depression and um, reluctance from the reaction from my dismissal or whatever it might be. But yeah, so. But it's funny, I don't think anyone would know any different because that's the version of Jorgen they met. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily abnormal. I'm more of like a norm toned down social Jorgen, which is more normal than than the average person. So it's just funny. <laughs> so uh, one thing I want to ask you about is you mentioned Barhead, that you grew up in Barhead. Now, yeah. I don't know how many people have heard about this place, but I certainly have because I've been to Barhead because I have some experience with uh Working and residing in Alberta, and uh, I wonder what kind of how far a tower might have been from my parents' farm. Probably but, pretty close. So I used to work in fire lookout towers yeah. in Alberta, and I had one that was uh, nearby. But I had to uh, do servicing on fire lookout towers, and one was in the town of Barhead. Mm -hmm. And when you said you grew up there, I was like, "Damn, I remember that place." Um, so it's very central Alberta. Uh, it's actually northwest. Really? Well, it depends on what you think the center is, because Swan Hills is the center of Alberta, like the, the physical geographical center of Alberta. Yeah, is Swan Hills. I, is, it is. I know you would know because yeah. you did a look at. But Barhead's not that far away. Is no, it no, Barhead's, Barhead is the nearest uh, town from that area. Yeah, but 
if you think of like red deer as the center of the population of Alberta, mm-hmm. then it's nowhere near it. The the geographical center oh, of yeah, Alberta. Yeah, sure, but it's just a bunch of trees. Right? <laughs> no, because most people don't remember that above Grand Prairie, there's 600 kilometers of land, but nothing civilization-wise. Of course, yeah. Nothing, like high level isn't civilization. <laughs> Poor high level. Sorry, Craig. <laughs> Oh, Craig's from High Level. That's where he was born and born and raised, yeah. Okay, funny. Yeah. Uh, so what was it like growing up in the uh, small community of Barhead? Uh, it was close enough to Edmonton that it didn't feel like we were that remote. Like Edmonton was only just a bit over an hour. Uh, and I think you take for granted that like the world's biggest mall at the time was like the closest mall to us because it was on the northwest corner of Edmonton. So as you drive to Edmonton, that's the first mall you come across. West and you, and you assume all big malls are that size. Uh, <laughs> no, like, especially when you're like nine or 10 and you're like, oh, this is just normal. So I think it was like, and I grew up on a dairy farm northwest or s- northwest of there. So, and on, and on a lake. And at the time, I don't think you realize how fortunate you are to have like wide open spaces, but still access to pretty much everything. Uh, I like, I used to ride my horse to softball practice. Because, like, I played for a county softball team that was only a mile and a half away. So I just rode through people's fields. Uh, and, like, that was a very normal thing. And But I think in a lot of small towns in Alberta, you get your driver's license the second you can. And, yeah. like, you get your learner's permit. Like, this, the day you turn 14, if you don't have your learner's permit, you did something weird. Like, why wouldn't you? Uh, and then 16. And then when you're a teenager, you're usually looking to get out of there. If, well, unless you really embrace the small town party lifestyle, which I didn't. So I was spending a lot of my teenage years in Edmonton because it was just healthier. So what were you doing as a teenager? What sort of, you Uh, mentioned softball, but what other interests did you have? uh, People mostly, girls specifically. Uh, But uh, I grew up in a conservative Christian home and I had two older sisters that were quite partiers. And so my parents didn't like that I was always going to Edmonton to go into like different church youth group things that I like had developed friendships with. But they knew it was healthier than the lesser of, and than like the alternative in Edmonton. So I, I calculated that like from when I turned 16 to when I graduated in high school, I'd put over 220,000 kilometers on my parents' minivan, mostly driving between Edmonton and back. That's a lot of kilometers. I know, right? That thing almost turned over 400,000. Um, an average weekend would involve me driving to Edmonton at least twice uh, and sometimes four times, like depending on what was going on. I also wrestled on the high school wrestling team, but like that was more of just a a side gig. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, it's it's making a little more sense about you uh, and your wife spending those fifteen minutes together driving back and forth to the ferry. If you spent that much time driving a vehicle in your lifetime, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, like and and it is it is an intimate time in the morning to share that uh, with uh, with your partner. I I totally understand what you meant by that when you said that earlier. But, yeah, uh, um, my daughters never got to ride a school bus in Edmonton because we only lived like three blocks from the school, so we'd walk. But they love riding the Pender school bus, which. In Barhead, it seemed like a prison you needed to get out of. So as soon as you have the opportunity to drive or have someone who will drive you. So my older sister would drive me in junior high, but then she was often late. So I almost failed grade nine or grade 10 math. But um, uh, you just, you don't want to have to be relegated back to the bus, which is such a dumb idea. But I think it's just the sense of freedom. Like you, you finally have this freedom. And when you live a half an hour outside of this near a small town, because, um, 
it does feel like a license for freedom of some sort, like to be able to go to your friends' houses or whatever. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have a horse and you can just take a horse. Yeah, actually, I'm mad. I stopped riding my horse basically once I got my driver's license and did, like neglected it. Did you have your own horse? Um, you have sorts. I was the only sibling for a while that took interest in our horses, but we, at times we had enough horses that we could all have a horse per se, but, uh, they weren't always broken, meaning rideable is yeah. a term within horseback riding. Although I met a lady on Pender who got really upset with me that I called the, I asked her for horses were broken. It, it used to have a certain connotation that the way you treated them to make them rideable okay. was kind of, uh, harsh, harsh and aggressive and like, yeah. But I know a lot of uh, very, very gentle horse breakers. I don't know if that's what they call themselves. But anyway. so Is your family back in Alberta? Yeah. So my parents still have the same dairy farm that I grew up on. And my oldest sister bought the farm kitty corner from it. And she's farming with her husband with my parents. And then I have a sister in Dawson Creek that's been up there for 15 years. That's where her ex-husband's from. And I have a brother in Stony Plain, which is near Edmonton, and I have a brother who's transient, but presently on my driveway here on Pender. Yeah, nice to have him on your driveway, or? Occasionally. <laughs> uh, and then I have another brother who is a con- conservation officer in Canmore, but his permanent residence is uh, Whitehorse, Yukon. Oh, sweet. Yeah. It's one of my favorite places in the world. I want to go visit him. I was supposed to right before COVID hit, and then he actually said, Jorgen, I will report you. Because at the time, they just shut down the province in the summer of 2020. Right. And he's like, if you try to come visit me, I will report you. Okay. Well, it's like, I love you, but I'm like, okay. He's uh, he, His job is more important than uh, his brother at, uh, yeah. at that particular and point. And public safety. Public safety as well, too. Yeah. Uh, I lost count there. Is that five siblings? Yeah, five siblings. Okay. And where do you fit in the scale of ages? I'm the third oldest. Uh, two older sisters than me and then three younger brothers. And uh, it's, it's a funny issue because I have both my grandfather's middle names or first names as middle names because my parents kind of agreed on three minimum of three kids and at least one boy and my dad got that with me so they're like okay maybe this will be the end but then they had three more what are your two middle names then uh william and arthur william and arthur okay who's the uh, the most handsome of all the brothers probably my youngest brother jason but he's not the tallest and i hate that that would count for something because i'm like i wish every guy could just every man could be bald and just five eleven. Uh, or maybe six feet. I don't know because <laughs> height shouldn't matter and hair shouldn't matter. But he does have beautiful hair, though. Good for him. I'm I'm envious of beautiful hair in this stage of my life right now. When I when I see yeah, that. and that I'm sorry for that because I oh you don't have to be. I have dreams where like I have flowing locks and nice. like that's what I get. I get to uh, to dream about it and then I wake up being like, damn. I, I think it's such a dumb characteristic to worry about it, but I also feel worse for women in that. They worry about so many characteristics that don't seem to matter, but such is life. Um, I think we're going to uh, wrap it up in a little bit here, but I I can't believe all the uh, stuff that we uh, squeezed into this uh, time period here. That was uh, that seemed like a lot. Yeah, it was. It was a lot. Hopefully, it wasn't sure. boring. No, no, not not at all. Actually, not at all. But uh, just before we uh, we sign off here, I was just going to say: is there is there anything that you wanted to put out to the people that are going to listen to this, the people of Pender Island? Anything uh, serious or ridiculous that you want to add before we're done? Oh man, I should have thought about that before. There'll probably be something that'll come to me right before, like right after we stop. But um, I know in the past you've asked certain guests like. Is there anybody you want to like recognize? And I think Craig and Ruthie Fair were the the glue and the 
the initial anchor for us to get established and we're incredibly grateful for that and i yeah i can't actually imagine moving any one place without knowing someone like there's no location i can think of in the world where i don't already know someone i'm like it might seem really beautiful like hawaii but i don't know anyone in hawaii so yeah. i wouldn't think to move there um but uh it takes a special kind of friends where like you get along with them. You also get along with the spouse. You also your spouse also gets along with them. Your spouse also gets along with the spouse. Your kids like each other. Like those when all those ingredients work out well, and you think similarly, and you have the same values. That's really rare. So yeah, right on. Okay. Well, there's just one more thing left to say, and that's the title of this podcast series, and it's Welcome Home. Oh, this is called Welcome Home. Yeah. Cool. And then there's a boat. Maybe that's poetic. I don't know. <laughs> Welcome home. <laughs> oh, a, the, the horn went as soon as I said it. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Awesome. There are other great people on Pender, so sorry if I didn't single you out too. <laughs> awesome. Okay. You know who you are. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you forget to mention the title of the podcast to the guest you're interviewing. You get hilarity at the end of the interview, just like that. <laughs> so there you go. Thanks for listening to that episode, everybody. Really appreciate that you stick around to the end. I got more of these coming out in the very near future, so stay tuned for that. One of the best ways to stay tuned for that is through Facebook. If you're on it, I'll be putting up posts on the online market to let people know when new ones are coming out. But you can also subscribe to the Stories That Brought You Here page, which you can find very easily on Facebook. So if you subscribe to that, then you'll get updates as well, too. And if you're at all interested, there's many old interviews from the past with locals who have lived here for a long time or a short time. And if you're at all curious about a bit of the history of Pender Island, please take a look at the notes in the show descriptions for people and you can have some ideas to what the sort of topics we're going to talk about in the interviews. But I highly recommend going back and having to listen to the back catalog because they're there to be enjoyed. And they're there for us to get to know each other a little bit better and grow community. So once again, thank you to Jorgen for that. Thank you to Ben McConkey for providing the theme music to this podcast. And thank you again for listening. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.